Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I shared this first service when Zach was talking about thinking with the home. Um, I've more and more, um, the longer I've pastored, the more I've, I've had uh, younger sometimes younger, maybe sometimes older, maybe pastoring less time, um, reach out and ask for, for help and, and advice and different things like that. And I found myself meeting with, with them. And, and this is the thing I feel like God keeps putting in my heart to talk to them about the first time I meet with them. And it's something that God um, showed me when I first started pastoring. But I, I want to share this with you guys because it, it ties into what Zach was saying. And when I first started pastoring, I was a full-time business owner, uh, trying to pastor and, um, and, and be a husband and a father and a friend and all the things that, that you do in life. And after about two years of doing that, I got, I, when I was coming to the end of the second year, I, was, I, I just felt like a failure in every area. I felt like I had tried to do great in every area, and, and, and as a result, I, I really wasn't really being great in any area. And I remember just laying before the Lord and saying, Father, you, you have to show me how to do this. Like, what do I do? And, and I was really crying out, and my heart was, you know, what do I need to do? And, and, and in that moment, he, he spoke to me, and I, th- this is what I felt like he said was, right, there's a million men that can pastor that church. There's one man who can be a husband to Patty. There's one man who can be a father to Aaliyah and Jackson. And if you do the thing that anyone could do at the expense of the things that only you can do, you fail. And I just want to share that with you this morning. I feel like someone really needs to hear that. You need to know that, like, it's okay to focus on those things that only you can do. Like, yes, God will be a, a husband to the widow, but, man, he'd love to not have to be the husband to the wife when you're in the home. He'd love for you to be your husband. He'll be a father to the fatherless, but, man, he'd love for you to be the father of the children in your home. He'll do it through you. There's enough kids out there that don't have dads in their home for him to have to take that place in the home that has them. And so as, as you grow in life and more responsibility gets added and, and you step into new seasons and new things, and you know, the way life does, it just constantly, if you let it, will just constantly keep putting things on you. And, and just make sure that you're constantly evaluating that stuff and asking yourself, what are the things that I need to do? What, Father, what are the things that, that only I can do? And then after that, what are the things that I should do, not what are the things I could do? Because as you grow in life and, and you grow in influence and you grow in experience, there's a million things in front of you that you could do. But seeking him for his heart for what you should do is super important. But especially for fathers, it, like hear me say that, like, don't be busy succeeding at things that anyone can do at the expense of the things only you can do. Because it doesn't matter, like, in fact, worse than failing at things that you should be doing, sometimes it's succeeding at things that you shouldn't be doing. Because at least when you're failing at doing the things you know you should be doing, at least you're trying the right things. You're aware that you're failing, and you can get better, and God can teach you and train you and show you and pick you up and and put you into that place. But success in areas you're not called to can sometimes lull you into this place of feeling like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because everybody would say that you're a success. Make sure you're focusing on the things he's called you to first and letting everything else come second to that. 
And that's being a son, being a daughter, staying in intimate relationship with him. And out of that, being a husband, being a father, and then from there, being a friend and, and, and being a man. God doesn't want to use you. He doesn't use people. He wants relationship with you, and out of that relationship will flow you doing the things that he's called you to do. It's never at the expense of the things that he's asked of you first. Um, all right. I thought so. <laughs> um, open your Bibles to Psalm 103. We, we talked about this verse a little while ago, but there's something in there that really stuck out to me. and It's actually, how are you guys doing today? You doing good? Yeah? You guys are a little more awake than the 815, but you're not quite as woke as the 12. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, is anyone here first time coming to Outreach Church? Yeah, awesome. Yeah? We're not going to ask anything weird of you yet. Um, but <laughs> no, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Um, you could have done anything this morning that you would come here and worship with us and, and add who you are to add your voice to our praise and, 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 and be here and spend time with our family this morning it means a lot to us, and we're, we're really thankful for that. Um, my name's Roy. I, I get the, the privilege of being a pastor here at Outreach Church, and um, I, I, I had something I, wanted, I want to share with you guys that it really started like, like just the gnawing at me a little bit about a month ago. I was, I was meeting with a couple about marriage, and, they, and, and they, ma- they made this statement. They said, we just want to have a good marriage. And at the time, it stuck out to me, and, and later I started thinking, what does good look like? And, and how do we even know what good looks like? Because truthfully, like, we define and, and what we expect and what we allow in our lives and what we believe for and, and, and even the goals of our lives, a lot of those things are determined by a lot of things other than the Father. If we're not intentionally seeking Him and asking Him, what does good look like? Like right now, if I say to you that someone is tall, right? Like Ben thinks that someone six foot two is not tall because he looks down on them. I think someone 6'2 is tall because I look up to them. And everyone in here, unless you know me, unless you really know me or you come and ask me, what do you mean when you say tall? You have your own idea that you've built in your mind of what tall is when I say that. And unless we go to the Father and actually ask him, what do you mean when you say that? We could be defining good as something that he calls not horrible, but definitely not good. And so I I was just thinking about that. I'm like, Man, there's so many things that influence our idea. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll get better. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Man, it's so good that we're family and we can just, seriously, like, just be here as family and and spend time together and trust uh, the Lord with our time. But, so I, I, but I was thinking about how many different things influence our idea of good. And I had this whole list of things, and I was going to cre- pre- preach this message about the different factors that, that weigh into to what we believe. Because, you know, the truth is, is that a lot of God's promises are dependent on what we believe when we hear it. Like, like God means something, but, but the way you hear it determines what you think God means when he says that. 
That's why I said, if you continue in my word, you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's this abiding in his word, abiding in him and actually seeking him through his word to know what he's meaning when he says these things that actually brings freedom into our life. And so I had this list, right? And it was like all these different things that influence and I might preach some of them, but I got into one and I was like, God, I just, I I, I have to talk about this one because I think it's one of the most, uh, one of the things that probably influences us the most and and, and it's our experience. Like our, our disappointment or our breakthroughs that we've experienced in the past have a way of shaping the way that we see the world and the way that we hear God's word even. Like when you read the word, what you've experienced and, and what you've been through and, and, and your disappointments and your successes and your hurts and your, your joys, all those things play into, if we're not careful, us determining what God is saying because we hear it through the lens of our experience rather than seeking him and saying, God, what are you saying apart from what I've experienced? And if we're not careful, we'll hear verses and then we'll drag them into the court of our experience and we'll judge them based on what we've experienced or been through versus strictly asking the Father, what are you saying? What do you mean when you say that? I'm going to read this, and I want want you to realize how quickly we do that. Here we go. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have this amazing Bible that, is, that, that we can find you in. God, that it points us to you and it shows, you, shows us your heart, your nature, your character. God, that we can see you as we, as we open the word, that, that as we look into it, it's like we look into a mirror and we see who we were created to be. And so would you open our ears to hear this morning and our hearts to receive, God, our minds to understand. Thank you that we have the mind of Christ, that we can, we can take these things, God, and, and understand them as the Spirit of God makes them alive to us, that they would be seed that would go into the soil of our heart, God, that it would produce a f- fruit in our lives, God, that, that our lives would be full of your fruit so that a world that doesn't know you, God, would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you're good they would know your goodness by the fruit you're producing in our lives. That they taste mercy and come to know you as merciful. That they taste kindness and come to know you as kind. That they taste gentleness and they come to believe that you're gentle. God, that that the fruit of our lives would lead people to knowing your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that's, a, that's the way that the world tastes and sees that the Lord is good. It's the fruit of the lives of the people that are filled with his spirit. Every day when people come into contact with you, they're eating fruit from your tree. And, and, and whether it's being produced by the spirit of God or whether it's being produced by you giving yourself to anything else determines whether they walk away better or with a sour taste in their mouth. Because it's his fruit that tastes good. It's his fruit that people can't deny. It's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When people encounter kindness where they expect anger, they can't explain that away. Whether they fall on their knees and say, what must I do to be saved in that moment or not, it impacts their lives. 
and it causes them to start asking questions, and it causes them to be curious. And then it's easy to share the love of God with somebody because they actually want the thing you have. You're not trying to chase them down and shove fruit down their throat. They're coming to your tree with an empty basket looking for the fruit that's being produced by the Spirit of God in your life. That's the way evangelism should work. Like, I'm all for the, the bold proclamation of the gospel. In fact, I want to preach about that soon, about the need for us to actually proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I feel like in some ways, we, we've let the, the, the idea that, well, our lives preach the gospel be a replacement for our mouths preaching the gospel. Listen, you have not figured out a better way to share the gospel of the kingdom than Jesus, and he had to use words to preach the gospel. His life backed it up, but he wasn't like, well, you know, my my life is enough, and I'll just let that speak. Sometimes that's a cop-out for not wanting to be bold and step out and actually proclaim the thing that you believe. I'm saying there's a need for both. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts and you see the signs and wonders that were being done, it always talks about it accompanying the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. If we're not seeing the power of God on display in our lives, it could be that there's nothing he needs to put his stamp of approval on. I mean, I'm, not you guys, but I'm saying <laughs> the 12 o'clockers, <laughs> those guys, some of them. No, I'm being serious, though. Like, think about it. What gospel am I preaching that he needs to confirm? Or am I just asking him to, do, to be able to do things to put on a show or to draw people to me? What gospel would he be confirming by signs and wonders following the gospel I'm preaching? It's a good question to ask ourselves. It really is. Um, but when I read this, when I read Psalm 103, we hear this, and, and, and instantly, without even realizing it, we're judging the word of God rather than letting the word of God judge us. Because when I read, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, when you hear that, if you grew up in a, in a church, in an environment, and your belief was shaped by, well, you know, healing is not for today. That was only for a certain time. Listen, don't trust the doctrine that tells you everything amazing in the Bible is either for a day that's past or a day that's coming and nothing's for today. I'm serious. This, there's these, there, there's these, these, like, if everything amazing is for before you were born or after you die, something's wrong. Like, why do we even, it says that, that, that we have this as an example for us and that it's good for, us, for teaching and, and edifying and all these things. And it's like, man, if everything amazing was for just before I was born or just after I die, like when do I get to actually, when does it matter what you said? Like why does any of this stuff matter if it's never for the time that I'm alive? And so if you, if you were raised in the world, well, God doesn't do that today. When you hear heals all your diseases instantly, you start thinking, well, that's talking about the disease of sin. That's talking about you know, spiritual healing. And it certainly includes that. But if you were raised in the other camp where everything was about physical healing and it was like, you know, everything was about signs and wonders and physical healing and that was the, you know, the the prosperity message of just everything should be perfect and all that. If that's what you were raised in, then when you hear that, you don't even think about the fact that it's talking about the sickness of sin that ravaged every person after Adam ate the fruit and that was passed on to people. And the truth is, is God's in the middle saying, I died and I I bled and I I was risen again for both. But our filter... (laughs) 
is a lot of times our experience because here's the thing. What if I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed and suddenly I start taking what I hear come from the word of God and I drag it over to this experience and I let my experience be the thing that speaks the loudest. And so I say, well, it can't mean this because of, and I point to an experience in my life and I let that experience be Lord instead of Jesus. I let that experience be the, the, the thing that's exalted above, the, above even God's name rather than his word. Come on. It'll happen. And, 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 and disappointment a lot of times shapes our theology more than even his voice. There's a lot of theology out there that's based on making sure I never have to feel any pain or tension or ever take any responsibility for anything in my own life. If your theology doesn't include you being responsible for things in your own life, then you have no need of self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. He thought you'd need it. That means there must be something in self that you need to be able to control, which means that you must play a part in this walking out following Jesus, or you wouldn't need that fruit. And so, so when I read that and I get to who satisfies your years with good things, Everybody's idea of good is different. But, there's, but, but God has an idea of good. Like when he said that, it wasn't an abstract thought that was like, well, good for one person, might not be good for another, and I'll just put that word out there, and everybody can decide for themselves what good looks like. No, God has actually a standard for good. In fact, it's incredible. Um, sometime we'll have Tom Snyder, he's one of our elders here, do a teaching that he does on the, the definitions of the word tob and ra, which are the original words for good and evil. It is incredible how many things that God calls good we have absolutely settled for living without and how many things that God calls evil, which is the word ra, how many things that God calls evil that we, born-again people, accept into our lives as just part of our life? And, and truthfully, the way, what, we, what we think about when we hear good will a lot of times determine the things that we actually accept into our lives or what we hope for or what we expect. And to a certain point, our belief matters almost as much as what God said because if we don't actually believe what he said, listen, Jesus died on a cross and said, it's finished. But how many of you know that until you actually put your belief in what he did on the cross, nothing changes in your own life? So his truth is eternal, but our belief and agreement with his truth is what actually impacts our life. He doesn't change. It's we, when we come into an understanding and actually believe and accept what he did, that changes our lives. So, so what we believe about him is super important, and what we believe about ourselves is super important. That's why so much of the gospel is dedicated to telling you who you are now that Christ came and you died with him, so that you could be risen again to newness of life in Christ. And so... When I say good, I was thinking about this with the, with, the, with the people's marriage. I was thinking when they said, I just want a good marriage, I was thinking, well, what does that even look like? Because if you both come from a, a home that's divorced, good could look like not getting divorced. Like that could be your definition of good is we don't get divorced, and, 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 and how many of you know that not getting divorced is probably better than getting divorced, but it's nowhere close to the standard of God of saying a good marriage? Have we ever actually considered what a good marriage looks like, what it looks like to love our wives and love our husbands well? Because there is a standard. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. So, so does my marriage look like my wife being touched by the gentleness and the kindness 
and the compassion and the mercy and the joy that I find in Christ? Or does it look like us just not fighting and not getting divorced and making it to the end of our lives and saying, we did it. We didn't get divorced. Or does it look like getting to the end of our lives and our spouse saying, I wish I had one more day to be loved like that? See, both of those could be called good. But one of them is God's standard for good. The other is a standard that we've determined because of what we've experienced or haven't experienced in the past. And I started thinking about, like, how much of our lives do we actually let a standard other than God's standard dictate what we believe for or expect or think is possible or even believe that we could walk in? Like, how many of us have actually sought him out in different areas? And there's a danger in these things that sometimes we will hear this message and be like, well, I found Jesus, I I accepted the, the forgiveness of sins, and I'm born again, I found the pearl of great price. But the truth of the matter is, is any area of my life that I'm not seeking him and asking him, what is your standard? I'm susceptible to living below where he died for me to live. And I may not even know it because what I might be comparing to is other people around me. Like, I may look at other people's marriage, and I see that they fight all the time, and me and my wife only fight once a month. So we have a good marriage. Really? See, Paul was talking about this in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He was talking about people who would come around and call themselves apostles and teachers, and they would boast about who they were. And he says this. He says, for we're not bold uh, as to class or compare ourselves with some. We had it up there. I'll read it off the paper. With some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. He's saying, listen, there's a standard out there, and it's not comparing amongst ourselves to determine how we're doing. The standard is Jesus. And he's talking about for people that would claim to be apostles and teachers, but you could bring that into any area of life. Like, what does it look like to be a good friend? Well, it's not just to be a better friend than that guy that betrayed me was. Well, at least I'm not Judas. Well, that's cool, but you're not John either. Like, so what is our definition of good? Is it just not selling him for 30 pieces of silver, or is it actually having an intimate relationship with him where we can lay our head upon his chest and know that we belong there? Because the truth is, is one of those is his standard for good, and it's certainly not, well, just don't sell me for silver. Like, you want to be a good friend to me? Just, just don't hand me over to be killed. But if our standard isn't Jesus, if our standard isn't something greater than our experience, if we're looking and comparing at people, we could look and be like, well, at least I'm not Judas. And settle for that rather than actually asking him, what does it look like to walk in true friendship with you? What do you think of when you say a good friend? When you said there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, what did you have in mind? And actually asking him and seeking him and and saying, like, I don't want to settle for less than what you have for me. I don't want to just settle into doing better. That's the, and, and here's the next thing that can, that can happen, is if you're in a bad place, anything better than a bad place can seem like good. So when you're in a bad, horrible place, if you're in Egypt and you're being beaten and enslaved and tortured and your children are being ripped from your arms when they're born and forced out into the fields and you can't even have relationship with people and you have to work constantly under a cruel taskmaster and if you slow down for a second, they begin to beat you and scream at you and belittle you. If that's what you're living under for a long time, anything better than that, anything that's not slavery seems like it's good. How many know when when God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had to tell them, listen, I'm taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey. 
I'm taking you into a land where there's cities that you didn't build and cisterns that you can drink from that you didn't dig and there's vineyards that you can eat from that you didn't plant. I'm taking you into a place, and he has to tell them about the good thing. His standard of good looked like the promised land, because if he doesn't tell them that, and they don't have that in front of them, as soon as they get out of Egypt, and they get to a place where no one's trying to beat them and torture them, and they're no longer being subjected, they could, the first oasis they come to looks like the promised land. Like, how many of you know they hit an oasis that had a bunch of date trees in a pond? It was one of the first things they got to. There was water. There was food. They could have settled down there. And if they weren't careful, they would have tried to farm a desert. They would have tried to figure out how to farm a desert rather than actually continuing on towards the actual promise of the good land that God had for them. And I was just asking myself and thinking about this. I'm like, God. How many areas of my life am I trying to farm a desert, convinced that this is good because it's better than bad? And you're over there going, Roy, I brought you into that place to teach you something. I don't want you to live there. I have good for you. This isn't it. This is better than bad, but it's not even close to good. How many areas of our lives have we just settled into and just decided to, 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 to the first oasis, like the first place you come to where there's actually some date trees and some water. Because you went from Egypt where you were slaves out into a wilderness where there's nothing to eat and there's nothing to drink. If you don't have an idea from the Lord of what he's called you to, the first place you come to that's better than where you were looks like good to you and you'll settle there. So if my marriage was full of fighting and anger and accusation and jealousy and bitterness, the first time we stop doing that, we'll say, wow, this is what it is. This is a good marriage. And we'll stop pursuing the heart of the Lord and we'll stop asking him to continue to reveal to us what it looks like to love our wives or to love our husbands. And we'll settle into, wow, now we have a great marriage. And your marriage may be great compared to what it was, but it's not great compared to what he has for you if you continue to pursue him. Don't set up camp in the wilderness because it's better than Egypt. Actually consider and ask him about this for your own lives even. Like think about it. Um, Ephesians says that you were saved for good works that he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You realize that's not just a sign at Hobby Lobby. Like no, I'm serious though. Think about it. Some of us put more time and energy considering the sign than actually asking him to reveal what the sign is saying. They're like, oh, look at that. It's, it's, like, it's, it's kind of rustic. I love how they did that. They whitewashed the wood. And, oh, and then they printed it in like a really classy looking script. I love that combination of like super clean and classy and like rustic. That looks amazing. That would look so good in the kitchen. And we put more time into thinking about what the sign looks like and where we could hang it than actually saying, wait a minute. You're telling me that you saved me for good works and you prepared them beforehand that I should walk in them? What are they? Like, I think there's good works that you'll walk in without realizing it. I totally do. I think that being a Christian, the Spirit of God living inside of you, every day you'll touch people's lives and they won't even, you won't even know. It won't be like the, the lights come on and God goes, ah, this is one of those times that I prepared you beforehand. I'm serious. Like, you just were kind to somebody because you're kind. Not because you're like, oh, I should be kind because that's what a Christian does. Like, if that's where you're at, like, good. Like, it's better to say, what would a Christian do in this moment? And then do that. But even better is to actually become that so that when you're in that position, you're not thinking about what you should do. You're actually acting upon who you are. 
And so your kindness isn't because you should be kind. It's because you are kind. Your gentleness isn't because you're like, oh, I should be gentle. Like, it, look, I'm serious. If that's where you are, awesome. That means you're being renewed and you're being transformed and you're thinking differently. And there's actually a step between wanting to be a jerk and being a jerk that's now in there that wasn't there before. Because there was a time where the thought to be a jerk in response popped up in you and you acted on it instantly. At least now there's a thought that, wait a minute, there might be a better way to live. That's awesome. That's not good. That's better than Egypt, but that's kind of the wilderness. That's not where he wants you to put down roots and plant your family. And if we're not careful, we'll judge ourselves and compare ourselves by ourselves. And we'll say, well, I'm doing good now because there was a time when I would have responded like a jerk. There was a time where I would have ripped their head off. There's a time where I would have told them off. There was a time, and you're, you're comparing yourself to a worse version of you rather than the version of you in Christ that he died for you to become. What does good look like? Not just what does better look like. I, I mean it. Like, listen, you're, we're, we're, we're all becoming like him. Like, there's areas of your life that were instantly transformed when you became born again. Those are amazing, and I wish everything was like that. I genuinely do. I wish that like, like everything, like I wish pride was dealt in me the same way drug addiction was. I do. It was like, cause it was instant. I saw it for what it was. The love of God came. It smashed that. It took away any desire. It took away any hint of feeling towards it. Like it was done and over with. I never again had to struggle with that ever in my life. But pride wasn't quite like that. It took four days instead of one. <laughs> that would be prideful. <laughs> I'm being serious, though. Listen, everybody, has, so, so, so you don't condemn yourself because there's still things that you actually have to think about. The fact that you're thinking about them shows that your heart actually wants to change. But don't settle for that. Don't settle for simply knowing what a Christian should do and acting on it. Don't settle until you become that so that you're not trying to figure out in the moment what it looks like to be like Jesus because you've been with him and seen him and you've become like him to the point where your response actually looks like Jesus without you having to think about it. I promise you it can happen. I promise you. Anything that God is working on in your heart, he desires to take you to a place where it's not something you have to think about, where you actually become transformed because you've become a partaker of the divine nature. And so that divine nature inside of you starts to take over rather than the old nature that was crucified to the cross with Christ. And now it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. And all of a sudden now when you find yourself in a situation where you used to freak out and you used to get angry and you used to get, get, get quick with your words and would cut people down and cut people off. And I'm telling you, that, that was me. Like I could absolutely, I would have probably been a great lawyer. I've been told that. Be, <laughs> Dylan's like, yeah. Dylan's been on the bad end. I've had to call him back after, we, I'm serious. I've had to call him back after phone conversations and say, man, I didn't let you talk. And I already knew what I was going to say before you even talked, and I didn't even think about what you were saying because I had already figured out in my mind what I needed to do. I had to. He's like, oh. <laughs> sometimes he'd be like, yeah, you did. <laughs> but sometimes he'd be like, oh, I didn't even know that. I thought you were listening. <laughs> and I'm like, I just tarnished my pastor crown, and I didn't have to. He didn't even know. But, but no, but seriously, 
But you know, the truth is, is the more I pursue him and the more I, 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 I walk after him and the more I give myself to him in intimacy and the more I'm alone with him and the more I see him and the more I think about what he's done for me, the more I think about the way he responded to me in situations, I start to see the, who I am. That's why it talks about, it says a man who looks into the word is like a man who looks into a mirror. When I look into the word and I see Jesus, I see myself, I see who he desires for me to become. It'd be a shame if I walked away from the word and forgot what I looked like. That's what happens in those moments. It's like we see him. And if we're not careful, we're like, okay, so this is what it looks like to to act like Jesus. But it's still an act. It's not a become. And so we have this list of actions rather than this becoming. And we're aware of our actions And we're not actually thinking about, am I becoming this? And he didn't die so that you could act righteous. He died so you could become righteous. He became sin. You think about this exchange. He became sin. Who knew no sin. So that you, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't act sinful so you could act righteous. He became so that you could become. Listen, knowing what it looks like to respond like Jesus and and dying to yourself and practicing self-control, that's a fruit of the Spirit, meaning what? You're probably going to have things in you that you have to control for a while. Otherwise, you wouldn't need the fruit, and God is not wasteful. He's not producing fruit in you that you have no need of. If he's producing it, there's a purpose behind it. But better than having to practice self-control is being able to trust that he really has changed my heart and so that what comes out of me will look like him because I've been with him and I've been transformed. And I'm not just acting, I'm becoming. I can't do that if I don't have a standard of good that I get from him. Because otherwise, I'll settle for just better than I was or just better than the people around me. You guys all know that guy that's a jerk. Don't let him be the standard and just be a little better than him. No, be like Jesus and then go to that guy and find out why he acts that way so that you can be the answer, not just one step ahead. We're never called to compare ourselves among ourselves. There's one standard. It's Jesus. But if I've never asked him, God, what does good look like in this area of my life? I probably have a definition that falls short of his. Even the best human definition probably doesn't come close because he said he wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ask or think. That means his idea of good is so much better than your ability to think of it that you have to actually seek him for it. So wherever you've established good, maybe you have sought the Lord. And maybe he showed you, this is what good looks like to me. Awesome. But if there's any area of your life where you haven't, it might be friendships. It might be health. He said, I pray above all things that you would be in good health. What does good health mean? Is it just better than I was? Like, you know, I used to have pain in my ankles and my wrist, and I used to get headaches all the time. I don't get headaches anymore, so I'm in good health because my health is better now than it was before. Or, or have I actually gone to him and said, Father, your word says that you desire that we would walk in good health and prosper even as our soul prospers. What does that look like to you? 
What does good health in my life look like? What is a prosperous soul? Like, have you thought about these things? Or, or, or are they just like words on a page that we recite and we hang in our house? Or have we actually gone to him and said, like, Father, if you prepared me for good works that you prepared beforehand that I should walk in, I don't want to miss those things. And I don't just want to assume that if I just walk through life and do what comes naturally to me, that I'll end up where you wanted me. If Jesus had to bend his will to your will to do the things you called him to do, there's probably a good chance I have to bend my will to yours to do what you've called me to do. And ask him. And ask him and and, and just make sure that good isn't just better than I was, better than somebody else that I haven't set up camp in a little place called the wilderness that he brought me into to bring me out of something but isn't even close of what he wants to bring me into. Because how many of you guys know he'll bring you out of a place and for a time he'll bring you into a season sometimes where it's a wilderness, where it's not the promised land but it's better than where you were and it's to teach you so that he can bring you into the promised land and you can actually possess it without it possessing you. Just make sure that you don't try to start farming the desert. Make sure you don't start trying to build houses there where he doesn't plan for you to stay long term. You pitch your tent there. You can drink of the springs, eat of the date trees. Let that season be what that season's supposed to be. But make sure that you're continually following him so that when he starts walking towards the promised land, taking you out of that season, you're not wanting to stay and thinking that where you are is the best it could possibly be. But you're actually open to the fact that as good as this may be, you may have, you always have better. You might have better than this. And I don't want to stay one day longer in the wilderness when there's a promised land waiting for me. That's why he told them about the land he was bringing them into. Otherwise, they'd be tempted to stay anywhere that was better than where they were. He wants to tell us. So it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Actually search it out and ask him, God, What does good look like in this area of my life? What does your goodness look like in this area of my life? What does this look like? So Father, I just ask that that whatever has shaped our idea of good would be crushed by your idea of good. God, that if we've made theologies and beliefs out of disappointment rather than out of your word, that you would just come and break those. No, we would let your word judge our experience rather than our experience judge your word. That we would let you speak and you define what's good. God, if your goodness and your mercy are to follow us all the days of our lives, would you show us what your goodness looks like? Thank you, Father. I thank you that you're not content to leave us. You always have more. I thank you, Father, that we can become, not just act. In Jesus' name, amen.